Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Oh, welcome, folks. Coming into a little super tramp. Uh, bloody well right. This is such a great song. Yeah, I hate I had to skip the uh, beginning piano solo. Well, we can only play so much music on a news talk station, but I love the guitar right here. rhythm guitar. And I like the theme of this song for tonight's show. Yeah, you're bloody well right. You say it's all who you know in your family, and it's all about money, and you know, you might be right, and right to say that, but I don't care. Anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that People sort of take this approach. I was talking to you off air. Sent it to you earlier. Interview with a guy who does that show. Adam ruins everything. And you know, I've kind of grown to like that show a lot, even when he annoys me. Like it's an obvious point to me, or it's one that hey, how dare you? I I thought I was right about that topic. Yeah. But then he even has an episode where it's like they bring in one of the co-hosts or uh, like. Emily, or I can't remember her name, the female, the lady that's on there with him often, and she takes the role of debunking his show. And I kind of sat back and went, wait, why is it called that? Why is the name of the show, Adam Ruins Everything, where essentially Adam, whether or not you like him, he essentially fact-checks some shibboleth or like truism or just some common trope out there in society. He goes, yeah, that's not exactly true. And in a way, I think we need more of that. Yeah. There's, there's, there's good and bad ways to go about it, though. I mean, w- mm. we all know someone who thinks they're the smartest person in the room. Sure. Oftentimes. I am. That's me. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... You know, if if you're having a conversation with somebody and somebody just like it's barely an earshot pops in, actually, um, here's the truth. <laughs> it's like, mm, okay, thank you for correcting me. I am glad I learned something today. Now, scoop. Right, and it makes sense when you're at like a dinner party, uh, especially if it's like an ideological political point. It's like, oh no. Like I've seen some libertarian memes, like especially around the holidays. Where it's a guy bowling, and the libertarian says, "Me is the bowler." The pins at the end of uh, the bowling alley is normal conversation, mm-hmm. and the bowling ball is taxation is theft. All right, right there, and it's just like why are you throwing that into the middle of things. 
Because most people just go, well, taxes are the price we pay for society. I actually I haven't met a lot of libertarians in person, but those that I've come across on the internet are like CrossFitters it's or bad or vegans. It's bad. I've learned to find a few of the good ones, mm -hmm. I think, and I've sort of laid off it. It is not the most important part of my identity is my political beliefs. It is not, but I do believe in these things. So I try to check myself. Like, why would I be upset if somebody fact-checked me? Yeah. You know? Well, and, but it's true. It's like, say I misuse a word. Like, well, actually, that's not grammatically correct. Like, okay. I'm having a conversation here. I'm not writing a paper for you. Mm -hmm. People speak differently than they write, number one. Now, maybe if it doesn't happen immediately. Like last week? Yeah. I, I kept saying Pantamax. Yeah. I'm at Panamax, and I've been kicking myself all week. Yeah, I, oh, I it's make a classification of trade ship Troy, and you effed it up. I make mistakes like that all the time. I, you do. You're bound to make mis mistakes like that, especially when you're talking off the top of the dome. Yeah. Like, a second ago, I almost forgot, like, lane. I did forget lane. I said bowling alley, and I forgot the bowling lane. Mm -hmm. I forgot that word. It just happens. It's true. And it's also one fact that you can... It's common that you're easy. It's easier to spot somebody else's flaws or mess ups, mistakes, than your own. That's true. Yes, happens and, all the time. And whether or not that that boils down to you wanting to admit it, or you just being so hypercritical of others that you don't turn the lens on yourself. Right. Well, it, and this is what I'm, I'm getting at. We hear it a lot, especially in politics, and even sometimes in religious debates. Uh, we hear, I only want the truth. I, I want the truth. I, wanted, I want these media companies to stop spinning. I want the politicians to be straight with me, Troy. Mm -hmm. I just want the truth. Yeah. Which just happens to be the brand of snake oil that I'm selling. <laughs> right. You I don't want the truth. It's right here in this bottle called the truth. Right. I, I think most people do not want the truth. And, and it's a real reaction. Yeah. I have the same reaction. That... We don't want to be careful and thoughtful and you know, very critical of our own beliefs and ideals and the, the answer that we want to hear. We just want it. We want that answer. We want the things that make us feel important and like we're wise beyond our years. And like, well, at technically, this is one I used to throw out a lot and people throw it at me now because I sort of just gave in. American presidents for the last 50 years have talked about American democracy, keeping the world safe for democracy. I mean, you can go back a century. Woodrow Wilson was talking about democracy. And, well, technically, uh, the United States is a constitutional republic, not a democracy. Like, yes, I know. But I'm, that's, I'm aware. That's not the rhetoric. And the whole point of just giving into the rhetoric is to say, yes, we've gotten away from that sense of being a republic. And the, what makes a republic different than a democracy. But I don't think most people want the truth. And it got, leads into the, why that show is called Adam Ruins Everything. Because there's something annoying about fact checkers. Number one, you're like, what's his what axe is he grinding? Yeah. Like, what angle is he coming from? Mm -hmm. what's, why are you correcting me? Right. And if, if someone says, for the truth, it's like, really? Really? Because none of us actually buy it. Yeah. Especially in politics, we're like, hmm, you're just trying to win. Yeah. 
You're just trying to win that conversation, that argument. And if you don't understand where they're coming from, I do it. I think most people do it. You tend to project onto them, well, you're probably some Democrat. You're probably a Republican, right? It may or may not be correct. I get that all the time when I say something and somebody doesn't understand it or they don't know where I'm coming from. They've ever met me. Like So they assume I'm a Democrat. They assume I'm a Republican because those are apparently the only two choices. And then when I tell them I'm a libertarian, they get very sad. They're like, oh, you're one of those. Oh. Okay. Sure. Good for you. I don't think most people uh, want the truth. Especially when they want convenience. Mm. The convenience of honesty, there's very rarely is there convenience in honesty. There is convenience in shaping a narrative yeah, and, to appear honest. And towing that narrative, towing that line. But, for example, if, if I were to sit here and tell you that my whole goal in life, my biggest part of my identity, is to seek the truth, you would say, that's BS. Yes. And that's true. Because yeah. if that were the case, then I could never tell a lie. I don't know if people would want to be around you. No. I would be like Jim Carrey in Liar Liar, except not an attorney and a fact checker. <laughs> but the thing is, is sometimes the lie is really convenient and works. It is. It is. And so, well, and also there's degrees of this is, again, my favorite quote is the truth is rarely pure and never simple. Exactly. Perhaps if we could attach a numerical value that is both positive and negative to each and every aspect of our personalities, we could then develop an equation that would give us what would be the right answer for how we want to project our identities. Right. But that's, boy, that's a lot of time and. You know, I don't really like math. And also, if you're putting a positive and negative value on the same integer, you get all quantum, and it's it's. Weird. Well, and the confu- most people don't think that way. Most I don't think that way. I really don't think in terms of math beyond simple addition, subtraction. I might multiply and divide occasionally. Rarely do I go beyond that. I I suppose I am weird in that sense. I remember when I was getting back surgery, I was doing or before when they were like. Shooting me up to yeah. like knock me out. I was doing math problems. Well, that's to your credit. But it's, I don't think that's most people. No. Uh, yeah. It, it's. Don't do that, by the way. But it, this whole topic of why don't people, most people want the truth. There's different types of truth, though. And we kind of hit at it. It's And it's the type that, like, that Adam, and Adam ruins everything, gets at. He's very, it's like, what does the science show? What do the studies show? What are like? Let's do this in an analytical, scientific way with sources. With sources, yes, and that's one type of truth. There is sort of your analytical truth: your two plus two equals four. Your multi-factored analysis that can say, okay, can we confirm this in you know several ways? Can we get other people to replicate this experiment or this thing that we, this phenomenon we're studying? Okay, that's one approach. But that's often, especially folks in politics and religion, when they're talking about the truth, that's not what they're doing. And I'm not taken away from what when they say, we want to uphold the truth. I actually think it's very valuable. There's right. a, such a thing as narrative truth. Yeah, and then there's also a temporal element. Right. Which is why if you, like, if you go, God, this is going to sound so lame. Go ahead. If you go and read, like, Foucault and one of his historiographies of, like, mm-hmm. clinics 
in medicine, sure, you're going to see the different. I call. I think he calls them epistems mm-hmm. um, of how humans viewed the viewed the body from autopsies and so on. Those were truths in that time, like the the whole bile thing. You got yellow bile, black bile, uh, saliva, and or blood and uh, mucus hmm. or phlegm. And we had developed an entire science of finding and curing disease through what were the mucuses and the humors. Okay. So and, it's and, just but a, nowadays, nowadays it's it's not that. So it's, it's an approach to medicine that we today look at and go, "What nonsense is this?" Yeah, exactly. And before that, and this right. is like, like before the 1700s, the French, like medical institute, had astronomers because they believed that the changing of the stars and the phases of the moon affected the body in certain right. ways. Right. You know, that was before we moved on to tissues and. Well, in science, it's science itself. As much as we, it's hailed in our society. Science itself is based on deeper narratives that allowed for that process to begin, and for the scientific process to be upheld. Uh, you needed in terms I, of the scientific method. Yeah, I think you needed different stories being told in society at large mm-hmm. and individuals before they developed a scientific method. Right. You, you needed certain, uh, well, a sense of equality and also a universal sense that equality is universal. Then we can speak a common language, in this case, math, most of the time when you're talking about the sciences. Particularly when it comes to explaining the observable. Right. But unexplained. But So there's the scientific method, but most people, when they talk about truth, they're talking about stories. Like the sort of truth you can, from reading a great book, from watching a news story, mm-hmm. uh, a great uh, journalistic, the actual journalism, investigative journalism, would be good. That most people learn from conversation and these days reading or watching a movie or something. It's not that they take the time to be systematic in what they learn. They actually are just kind of going with the flow. And honestly, you said, what is your number one purpose in life is to seek the truth. Mine is not to seek the truth either. I have, we have a lot of different goals in life. I think my number one goal in life is to be a happy, fulfilled person, a good person. And so it's the weird thing. And it's like the old classic uh, moral dilemma that Kant threw out there. If a Nazi comes knocking at your door and you're hiding the Jews... If you believe that lying is wrong, do you tell the Nazi the truth? Of course not. You don't tell them the truth because somebody's life is life is more important than the truth in that moment. Right. Which highlights the necessity of context, especially yeah. in communication. So for someone like Adam, and Adam ruins everything, if he's providing context and that somehow makes people defensive for example if yeah. it's uh, he calls it the backfire principle which is like a psychological principle which when you provide someone with the truth that goes against their own belief it causes them to hold steadfast and even more firm oh. hold their belief so context we can both agree is important oh very important but context in the sense that it's almost disinfected sort of like if you and I are having an organic conversation wow I gotta stop with the metaphorical speech if we're having a conversation and it's occurring naturally Mm -hmm. and I say Pantamax and someone comes in and says actually it's Panamax and that's a classification of ship that goes through the Panama Canal and just interrupts our conversation like that I'm gonna be like thank you yes sorry I misspoke but if we're having a 
conversation about deeply held beliefs, mm-hmm. and someone comes in and corrects us, and does in fact provide context to why we are wrong, and we react the way that it would seem almost natural to react. That is to say, very defensive. Get defensive, like you've been attacked. Is context really important to that conversation? Then it is, and well, it's. We're actually. I appreciate that show. Is that if you really watch a lot of it, what he tries to do is provide here's here is context. Yeah. Like the classic one of recent vintages uh, of people at the Thanksgiving dinner table arguing over guns in America, and he stands up at the dinner table and says, "Neither of you know mu- as much about guns as you think you do." And it's like that's actually where I usually sit on most political arguments. I. I find myself going, I don't want to pick a side. I more want to say, neither of you should be as self-righteous as you are right now. Mm-hmm. Calm down. I almost want to, like, manage how we're even talking to one another. Yeah, almost like a, a debate host. Yeah. Yeah, there's an element to it, though, where in political speak in particular, it's almost the more confident, the more certain you are, the more you give an incredulous face to somebody. Like... Uh, in a bit, I want to get into an uh, interview that Ben Shapiro did with Tucker Carlson. And somebody, I found the whole interview. It's great. I enjoyed it. They have a little bit of a debate, but they also get the, he gets to know Tucker and Tucker's background. It's a fantastic interview. It's about an hour long. Ben Shapiro does a great job. And they don't agree on everything. But somebody cuts two minutes out of that when I was searching for it in YouTube. And the headline on it, or the title on it is, Tucker Carlson owns Ben Shapiro. And I watched it and go, no, he didn't. He was just earnest and passionate about his point. Didn't own Ben Shapiro. Yeah. But it's, that's there's too that much same, of that crap. That same person probably watches Tucker's show regularly and yeah. regularly says that what I, myself, Troy, would consider to be Tucker's bullying <laughs> would be owning people. Right. And that's where it, it gets interesting in politics where it's not about the actual truth actual content or maybe it's about deeper truths that aren't actually being talked about in the conversation right it reminds me of really have you been around uh, toxic relationships like couples i've been around them where it's like they're arguing and say they're arguing over who like cooked the bacon too long Mm -hmm. or too not enough and you can tell this this argument is not about the bacon. This didn't start with the bacon. No, there's something else going on here. Right. And most of the time, use that lens, folks. If you're watching cable news, I kind of refuse to these days. But the, the sort of CNN, everybody's got their head in one tile, and they're all arguing and screaming over one another. Or even Tucker, to his credit, does a one-on-one interview, and they'll go back and forth. Yeah, it's, it's so that you can get a better image of him browbeating somebody. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, not to say that Tucker is not incredible at his job. He is. He's, He's very, very good at it. Well, and it's some people deserve to me. be browbeaten. I yeah, and it's if it, I were an expert on something. First of all, I don't have the charisma, I think, to go on television and talk about what my expertise is, hmm. which is an important point. And Adam brings it up in his interview. You know, it's like he says Neil deGrasse Tyson can't be the only astrophysicist. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you're right. He's not the only astrophysicist, but he's the only one that is charismatic enough to go on TV and get his point across. Right. Same with Bill Nye, the science guy. He's an engineer. He's not even a yeah. scientist he's or an a engineer. credentialed scientist. But he's he's charismatic. He wears a bow tie. He knows how to I do think, TV. I think Tucker should bring back. 
the bow tie. Oh, I agree. But Adam Conover, the guy and Adam ruins everything. He's a comedian. He is just good with words. No, and I'll say that my expertise is here is I talk. I'm not really an expert on things. Most talk hosts are not experts. You might get the one person that was an expert in a certain field and they got into talk radio or they got into cable news. And that's their sort of forte they go to on national security. Yeah. But for the most part, people that are host presenters, we're just that. We present information. We're second-handers. We're not the ones coming up with stuff. Or even the experts that they bring on TV and the news. Like, if they're talking about a particular subject matter, they're not going to bring on the guy that wrote the paper. They're going to bring on the guy that knows enough about it and is charismatic enough to present a certain part of the idea. Well, and I've, I mean, I've made that mistake. I've gone right to the source and I've had them on air. Mm-hmm. And you realize, oh, no, I've made a terrible mistake. Yeah. Because they don't know how to present it in a concise manner, a, a swift manner. And I try to stretch this hour out as long as I can. Like, I try to make it as conversational like what we're doing tonight. And I try to do that every night. I'm not trying to do discrete five-minute segments, ten-minute segments. I could do that. We could do this story, then that story, then this story. But I sort of like the conversational approach to things. Yeah. I, w- that that happened to us, in, or at least me, in college quite a bit, hmm. where you're or shoot that happened to us in high school where we would be having a conversation and class ends and it would be like we're not done talking right no bell ring no subject what come on yeah let's finish just see where the conversation leads that's the best stuff and you know some folks have wondered and asked me and I've sort of struggled with it because I want to answer them honestly Joey what's your format my format is to talk you know what my format is? We hang out. And ideas come up. Yeah. And we chat about them. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Neil deGrasse Tyson, did you see he was accused? This was That was a year ago or so. But he's it? finally responding to it. And what's his response? Uh, the first two of recent vintage seem pretty credible for the most part. He describes the events as he remembers them and says... If that made the person uncomfortable, I'm dearly sorry. I mean, one was like he lift up a girl's shoulder on her dress and like was looking for a tattoo because she said she had a tattoo of Pluto. They're like chummy about it. And after the fact, and he didn't find the tattoo and it was all a joke about how Pluto's not a planet or no? No, that would have been great. Okay. But apparently she felt uncomfortable and said that he groped her. Maybe Pluto's uncomfortable not being a planet. Another was like a long work colleague that he, because he just has a policy not to hug work colleagues. He would give her handshakes and they had wine and cheese or something at his place. And she thought he was coming on to her. He's like, no, I have wine and cheese with all sorts of people. Um, uh, if he's if, if you come out and you're like, I'm a wine and cheese guy. Now, the last one, though, that happened apparently in the 80s, mm-hmm. and I'm not presenting this as a, you know... Was this the one when he was like a graduate student? Yes. Uh, and he uh, says that he dated her for a little while, but then he now tries to discredit her by saying she's a little nuts with the stuff she's posted online. That sounds like some grooming might have happened. Well, just the way he talked about that last incident makes me think... Well, with, something weird might have happened. I don't know if it's... Defensiveness? Yeah, I, it might not be what she's describing, but it's probably not what he's describing either. Um, it, something weird happened there. I'd imagine what happened is they were probably dating and something odd happened. And it's like, oh, okay, that was weird. And then they didn't see each other anymore. He's, and he says in his defense, he, he met his then soon-to-be wife after. Uh, he's, he is forthcoming that I, get, I dated graduate students, fellow graduate students. 
uh, when I was there and getting my degree. So that one's a little weird, but... That sounds like grooming to me. Maybe, but... I mean, there's a certain point where it's like normal behavior when it comes to dating. Right. Becomes like this, you know, we get words like grooming. It's like, well, what if that person said yes and now they're married? Like, you know how many marriages begin in the workplace? It's only grooming if it goes bad. Right. This is what I mean. Sometimes my cousin, Jessica, she said, I was like, Jessica, what is considered sexual harassment? She said, any unwanted advance. So if I ask somebody out and they say, no, I've committed sexual harassment. Based on Jessica's definition. Yeah, it was a little, and that's, it seemed a little absurd. Now, if I ask somebody and they say no, and I ask them and they say no, and I, hey, come on. Yeah, that's harassing somebody. Yeah. Of course. But it just seemed like, man, everybody's, we're coming up with new words for just normal human behavior. That most of the time, again, not very simple context matters. I mean, that's true. But just speaking broadly. Yeah. If you're... A GTA, graduate teaching assistant, and you have a little bit of power in your graduate department, and you start dating girls mm-hmm. in your department that are graduate students. There's a right away. There's a potential for abuse. Of power. There's a huge potential for, especially if it's a small department where yeah. uh, micropolitics is key. But and, you could say that I didn't do that. It was just. We hung out. We ate a lot of cheese. Yeah, especially, what, 30 years down, right. down the line? Yeah, it just seems like, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson is a, I mean, he's a prominent figure. He's in the media. Mm-hmm. So let's bring him down because he made me feel uncomfortable once. Which it's just like, okay, I don't know what to do with it at that point. Like, did he do something illegal that he needs to... Right, exactly. Pay for? Fortunately, Fine, let's for do me, that. I'm not such a fan of him that it's an right. instance of watching a hero become human. It's not for me either. But I think everybody growing up has an instance of watching their hero become human. Well, I had a big one with uh, Prince. His <laughs> death. It was the saddest death ever. This man so full of life and creativity dies alone in an elevator from an opioid overdose. Good God. Sad. Yeah. A man who built up all this mystique around his life. Well, I guess he built up too much mystique and too isolated. <sighs> but, yeah, it's, it's terrible to see a, you know, an icon sort of torn down. But it's especially like, Let's say you were a Michael Jackson fan. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I, I don't know how much truth there is to the whole pedophile there's, thing. I don't think there's any to it. But... Imagine you're a huge Michael Jackson fan and watching him go through that, and all of a sudden it's like, here's a person that I really liked, and now they're they're accusing him of this. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Now, and I don't think I think Michael Jackson got raked through the mud there. I think none of that was true. I think he genuinely was. He didn't have a normal childhood. He wanted to give kids a crazy childhood, any opportunity who he could help. I think he genuinely was like that. Yeah. Um, Whereas with Bill Cosby, it's like this image of the perfect America's dad. And now, oh, Lord. Like, it's the opposite. It's like the what the guy does in the shadows. And then he's not remorseful for it. It doesn't seem at all. Yeah. Like, woo What a cover story that America's dad thing was.
Yeah, I don't even want Jello anymore. Yeah, I don't want pudding pops. I don't want any. I don't want pudding. I don't, I just no. I don't want to see the Cosby Show anymore. Mm-mm. It's just too weird. And I feel bad for those other actors who aren't going to get the royalties the same way. But oh man, that's just yeah. ugh. it's weird how sometimes the truth isn't. You don't want to. You don't want to believe it. People didn't want to believe it about Cosby, even though it was true. But it took what. 30 accusers? 40? Yeah. Dude, they didn't even... They didn't want to believe it about internment camps. Oh, right. Nazi Germany. Right. There's still people that don't want to believe it. Well, those people are wrong. And it makes me wonder where you're coming from there. (laughs) That's a little messed up. I think think before we go to break, I, I must bring up context again. Okay. I liked what you said about how Adam lays it all out there. Yeah. If if I could be presented with facts or told where to go to find all the facts, I think I would appreciate that more than just having someone's opinion shoved down my throat, even if that person does have some quote-unquote expertise. Yes. I would rather find source-backed information for myself. Having said that, in something as long and as complicated as politics and policy... That is exhausting. It is. That would be so exhausting. It Well, it, it can be incredibly exhausting because it's not just, oh, everybody's talking about these policies we disagree on in good faith. I can't even read the budget. Right. Oh, half the time it's not, like, leave aside all the BS and backstabbing and just bad faith of politics and how people argue it. And just imagine everybody's an angel and we're trying to figure out the best answer. It's still difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. I try to sort of boil it down in my mind, what are the general trends, and that's what I go off of on things beyond my ideals, like foreign policy or the budget. I sort of go, okay, what's adding to the budget? What are our obligations abroad? All right, we'll kind of go from there generally. I don't try, I'm not an expert. I'm not a wonk. I'm not up there working in D.C. on a particular item, by any means. Or or like an analyst with numbers. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. But I I think sometimes it's when it'll be our topic after this break. When you start thinking that there is a political solution to everything. Yeah, is there? There's not. And if the answer to that question is yes... For some people, I'm sure it might be. That asks, that begs another question. Is that necessary that there is an answer? And if there is, like, if you say yes, and the answer to is that necessary is yes, then my follow-up would be why. Why is a political answer necessary and always available? Right. It just seems a little totalitarian. Like, is there no limiting principle? Yeah. No, how political power can be used in life. But uh, we got to hit this break. We do. But before I hit the break, I want to tell folks about Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. If you're looking for a real estate agent, not just any real estate agent, a buyer's agent for you, that potential first-time home buyer, give Eddie Bader a call, 322-0662. Get that number, 322-0662. He's been, for lack of a better word, grooming me on moving towards buying a new home. He's been, and he'll do exactly this. He'll be looking out for you, the buyer's best interest. Uh, inform me about prepaids, so you have an inspection. Is maybe you fall in love with the place, but it's got something really wrong with the central heating and air, or there's some rot in, in, the, in, the, in the foundation. I mean, you don't want a crack in the foundation. You don't want 
rot in the drywall. You don't want to buy a place that is a huge project. And if it, inspection does find something like that, maybe the price to fix it can be negotiated and as part of the closing costs. You could also look at things like, well, appraisals, other prepaids. Eddie Bader is there to help walk you through and take what can be an emotional decision. It's a lot of money to buy a home. And he can give you some peace of mind, put you at ease, because he's been through it before himself. He's changed his own life by investing in real estate. He knows his way completely around it. He'll go the extra mile. And one example of Eddie Bader going the extra mile is he's seen too many people buy a home, and then they tell him a horror story that they had to clean it for a week afterwards. Like, you expect when you buy a place, you know, it's going to be nice. You can move in. No, he, so he doesn't want this to ever happen to one of his clients. He has a team. They'll make it move in ready, clean the whole place for you. That's just one example of how Eddie Bader will go the extra mile as your buyer's agent. So give him a call, 322-0662. Again, that is Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group, 322-0662. Say. Ah, a little sexy saxophone going out. Yeah, but are there political solutions to everything? Just vote for the right people and life will be made all right. It doesn't work either. We'll get into it after this break. Joey Clark. Welcome back. That scent is so cheeky, I I can't take it seriously. She's gone live from 1976. They're not just a studio band. But I was telling Troy, uh, by the way, welcome back to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Troy alongside me as he is most Monday nights. Telling you off air about a story. Wait, what was the one story out of Russia? Headlines that just make you laugh, folks. It was uh, decriminalizing domestic violence was a, quote, mistake, unquote, Russian official admits. It's, it's so it's one of those things that's horrifying, so it makes you laugh. It's like, really? They did this? Of course it was a mistake. <laughs> well, here's one. The headline reads, it's, quote, it's the real me, end quote. Nigerian president denies dying and being replaced by clone. This is from The Guardian, folks. And it gets to a point we were making before the break. Apparently, he, Muhammadu Buhari... Mohamedou Bahari denied claims he was, you know, essentially dead and replaced by an imposter. But he's been in Britain for the last year being treated for an undisclosed illness. So one theory widely circulated on social media and by his political opponents is that he'd been replaced by a lookalike from Sudan called Jubril. No evidence has been presented, but the videos making the claim have been viewed thousands of times on YouTube and Facebook. And this is what we're getting at. It's not about the truth. Just if people repeat it enough, and it's an interesting enough narrative, which mm-hmm. this is interesting, 
It's like, hey, he's dead. And he was replaced by a lookalike. And it's not implausible. Didn't Hitler have lookalikes? And... He's up there in England. Dead. Right. And we don't see him because he's in England. They don't have pictures in England despite having cameras everywhere. So he's dead. He was replaced by a clone. A clone, I should say, that is Sudanese. Oh, look thus, at these rats. They'll thus, do anything. Thus stoking the fires of fear. Well, right. he's not quite dead. He's only about half dead. It's like... It's ridiculous. Yeah. What people will believe, this is our point, they don't care about truth. They want a story. Mm-hmm. And... Some stories are just that compelling that we'll, we're willing to talk about them. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. And you're not always in the debunking mood. And it's funny when it's a different culture. It's Nigeria and Britain. And, and it's silly as clones. Right. And Russia. And, of course, the crazy Russians. You know, Decriminalizing domestic violence. Right. I not mean, realizing that that would be a bad idea. That's just... That's, that's Russia. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, okay... As I've heard it said many times, it's a different type of white people. <laughs> the Russians, they're a different type of white people. They are. I think even they're most in common American. As in they're... Yeah, I think they're a little different and a little crazier like than... Because uh, of their culture? Or yeah, their culture. Oh, okay. That's what I mean. Of course. Well, they, I'm, I'm not wouldn't, into wouldn't they genetics. be more Caucasian than... Yeah, true Caucasian. Because they're from yes. the Caucasus? Right. Which is just how stupid that old ethnology or whatever yeah, it but, is. Yeah, but then they, there's a lot of Asians in Russia because they're like right there on the border. You're overthinking it. You're oh, over, you know what? Let me just say, yeah, you're overthinking it. Vodka, good. Cold, bad. Vodka, <laughs> keep warm. Policy, soft. It was so cold, I'd run out of vodka, so I beat my wife. <laughs> this is oh why my. we have to decriminalize things. It was a gentleman's agreement. Oh, my goodness. It's just, Russia's a crazy place is all I'm saying. Yeah. It's a crazy place. We got a couple crazy places here, though. Oh, of like, course we do. Don't be a protester in Boston. You're probably going to die. <laughs> right. Certain parts of Texas. Mm-hmm. Hell, there's certain parts of Alabama. I don't need to go around with my long hair and my mustache looking all fancy pants at night. I don't need to go to Alabama, certain parts of it. It's like you make that turn in uh, in, in Nolens on, right. on Bourbon Street. You make that turn and all of a Come sudden... Come here, boy. You're <laughs> sounded like Robin Wood. Come here, boy. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm keeping driving. Oh, no, my why, why won't my car start? Did I really not fill up with... Anyway, the beginning of some terrible horror movie. But I found this one little clip. Uh, it's Ben Shapiro interviewing Tucker Carlson. It's one thing when it's bizarre stories, clones, different cultures... But what if it's our own political stories and narratives that we might have some attachment to? Even if you're not deeply attached, you're like, yeah, I like that side better than the other side. Right. Like, I didn't really like Trump, but I hated Hillary. That sort of thinking. That's out there, too. And it's still difficult to sort of unhitch ourselves from there's political solutions out there to all. If we just have, doggone it, if we just have good old American willpower and know-how, we can figure this out. Just vote for the right people. Mm-hmm. By golly jeepers. Yeah. Well, but listen to this question from Ben Shapiro. This is, again, off Shapiro's show, I think called Sunday Special. Interviews a person. And in this instance, he interviewed Tucker Carlson. So might have to skip after I play the beginning of this. Is it a contributing factor to societal unrest to tell people that politics is to blame for the problem? Are we, are we edging on political messianism? The idea that 
If yeah. we just change a couple of policies yes. here or there, yes. then we'll be able to fix everything. When the reality is that, as you talk about a little bit in the book, what we may be suffering from is an actual spiritual malaise. And maybe economics has something to do with it. I would argue that it has a lot more to do with a generalized move away from yeah. social fabric driven by of all course. the factors that used to exist in churches and, and all these things. Okay. Ben Shapiro keeps talking, and he keeps talking. So I'm going to skip ahead for a second. You are guaranteed nothing in the United States but the adventure of your life. There are 7 million unfilled jobs. Maybe we need to actually move. Maybe you need to go to North Dakota and get a fracking right. job. Yeah, leave Yeah, leave your parents' graves in okay. the town you grew up in to move to some solar city and become a cog in some thing. Well, I mean, that, that's, I mean, the biblical mandate, leave the land that you've known and yeah, go to some I mean, place for I, adventure. I, yeah. I don't know. I, it's, a, it's a mixture of both. And I, and I would, to answer your initial question, anyone who argues that any of this is going to be fixed by a person or a bill that makes its way through Congress or new Supreme Court justice is lying to you. That's a grotesque and dishonest oversimplification of the sort that politicians and, by the way, talk show hosts specialize in. And so the, to the extent I played a role in lying about that, I'm sorry. I never want to be that guy. I always want to acknowledge how complex and multifaceted all of these problems are because they are. See, it's, uh, when he's doing this interview with Ben Shapiro, and this isn't a call-out Tucker moment, but it is a little bit. Like, okay, you can say I apologize for doing that, but you do it all the time on your show, man. How many people are listening to this Ben Shapiro interview, and how many of those people overlap with his viewership on his show? Oh, Ben Shapiro's? Yeah. Well, um, ben Shapiro, how many people are listening to this interview with Tucker Carlson on yeah. Ben Shapiro's show? And they're Tucker fans. And watch Tucker religiously. Probably not many. Okay. It's a different audience. It just is different audiences. YouTube is younger. So there's absolutely male. Yeah. there's absolutely nothing to lose with him being slightly honest, honest here. Yeah. Well, it's just I appreciate him being honest, number one. Where is if if he if he said that on his show, I would appreciate that much more. I agree. And it, I think he would actually. I think Tucker Carlson if asked that question on his own Fox show would answer it truthfully. I don't think Tucker Carlson is a bad guy and some Nazi like the left would make him out to be. You know, it's yeah. like he's a white nationalist. I'm like, I don't think he is actually. Right. Really don't think he is. I think he's a populist. I think he very much is skeptical. He, he believes in, in he, well, I'll go on with the clip. I'm merely making a couple of very obvious observations. And there are downsides to this. We stuff. are not <laughs> servants of our economic system. We are not here to serve as shareholders. We're human beings, and our concerns are real. Now, they must be balanced against the concerns of shareholders and lots of other concerns. But to say that, you know, if it's more efficient to have you move to some crappy suburb to serve some douchey company because that's what, you know, is best to increase value, it's like, it's okay for me to stand up and say, you know, there are other concerns here, actually. And there's a social cost to doing that. And I see his point. It's not fun to have to be displaced and have to move to a different city. It's not fun to have to, you know, pick up and leave and figure things out. But where I come down on these things is that, number one, what's your alternative, man? And if your alternative is I get to control things more, or people who think like me get to control things, we voted together. And because I don't want to work for that douchey company in some crappy town. 
Like, well, wait, so now you get to, like, tell other people how to live and companies how to run themselves? I just, I think it, if, and it's to Ben Shapiro's brilliant point, is that I'm all for having that conversation with Tucker Carlson or any other person if the idea is that, yes, you cannot live by just money alone and the capitalist system. It's not just prices and private property out there. There are real human concerns. They go to the spirit. Uh, go to cultural concern. There's all sorts of complicated factors. But I think as soon as we inject politics as the solution to these really complex problems, like technology displacing workers across the board, then we're going to end up in a game of who controls whom. Who gets the power in D.C. and who ends up being the person that tells you what to do in order to save a job or whatever else. As opposed to, hmm, if we left politics off the table and realized most of the time politics is not going to solve our problems, it's just going to make it worse. And even if you don't agree with that, just say that's true for the sake of argument. How would you fix a lot of things in society? And that's generally how I think about things now. So the more I found myself saying, mm, the political system is sort of a key part of my identity, like big things happened in my life where it, politics didn't even touch it. Let alone fix it. Yeah. And if you're talking about something as complicated as somebody needs to learn a new skill in order to create, find a new job for the 7 million something jobs that are open right now, or plan 10 years ahead for what's going on. I think there are ways to solve these issues without it being a populist national program from the federal government. That's a really good point. That being said, if... Okay, so... If the government is hell-bent on creating jobs and they don't fill them, Hmm. should they ditch the program? Or should they promote that... Like, let's say... they're. They're building like retraining program. No, they're building a whole bunch of bridges. Yeah, you have a bunch of job openings as a result, but they're not filling those jobs. Do they not build those bridges? Right. Well, I see your point. Well, if the bridge needs to be built, it needs to be built. Well, exact. Well, it's also, you know, if the government's going to have these jobs, if they say that, and this is all just speculation, right? If the government's going to try and create new jobs, and they're going to be these federal jobs, but they're temporary, and they can't fill them, do they continue with it, or do they try and find some way to fill them and promote them? I think they try to find some way to fill them or promote them, is what they do. Yeah. They try. Fortunately, this isn't like a lot of places where that money that would have been set aside for those building projects would just get swindled into the politicians' coffers. Right. There is a certain accountability there. To a certain degree. I just, uh, I don't know, I think there are solutions to a lot of the really complex things coming our way that aren't obvious, number one, that none of us really understand. Yeah. And whether it's the problem of social media and instantaneous communications and like, okay, everybody's more connected, but now it makes it seem like everybody's just has their competing narrative and there is no truth. Yeah, or, or the observation of where did all these Nazis and white supremacists come from? That um, right. Adam talked about in the interview. They were always there. Yeah. 
They just never had a voice because the voice was taken away from them. And, it, and, it also and now they can get, gather together. And then you also get the factor of like, ooh, if we play up how prominent the Nazis and the white supremacists are on that side, then that makes us look like saviors coming in to fight the evil mm-hmm. races. It just gets so complicated and unseemly. Where it's like, are we actually fighting racism here? Or are we like exploding the definition of racism to make the other side look bad? Mm-hmm. And, and then there's uh, there's sort of almost absolute truths and ideals that are ingrained in you from your parents from a young age. Yeah. And then by, say, exploding that idea of racism and making white nationalism seem a lot bigger than it actually is, you it's like, I, I don't want to feel like a marionette. Right. And that's exactly how to make me feel like a marionette. Right. Just a pawn in some big game. Yeah. Yeah, and that is incredibly annoying. I, I don't know. I find a lot of the the culture wars, the the slogan, the personal is political. No. Right. I think it should go to the dustbin of history. I think the personal eclipses the political. I think people over yeah. politics, more local solutions, more solutions of the spirit. I mean, it goes back to the founding of the nation before the U.S. becomes an official nation under the Constitution. I mean, this idea of it's a local governance that's mostly voluntary and it's infused with the spirit of religion. And, it's, it's, and by spirit of religion, I mean a spirit of hope, a moral people, a people that do have some sense of the world that came before them and everything became so great and prosperous. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes life can be tough. And that's why you have that spirit of religion and that hope. Um, I think sometimes we get so... We're not used to having to really struggle like grandparents or great-grandparents did to yeah. where it's like, oh, what am I going to do? Well, let's, let's have the authority solve it for me. Like, no. Yeah. And when he said, if anybody's out there saying, I alone can fix it, well, the president of the United States said that when he was running for office. I alone can fix it. This is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Like, we don't have much time to fix the world. It's just the hubris of some people running for politics and the people who follow them. Don't mm-hmm. buy it. Yeah. It's going to lead you to a blind alley. It's not going to be fun. Plus, if, if politicians and the left or the right actually cared about anything that I thought about, I think they'd find me quite boring and would want nothing to do with me. Like, Likewise. Like, why, why do you watch snooker videos? Well, they, they help me go to sleep. And-